new introduction song. <clears throat> I don't think that's in reference to a monotone delivery, though, right? Anyway, if you knew me, you'd laugh. Anyways, <clears throat> thank you. All right, so uh, we are continuing on today uh, talking about what a qualified leader looks like. Um, all month long, I've been asking you two questions. Uh, what are the qualifications uh, for a leader? And what do you look for to determine if you should follow a leader? So those two things, those two questions sh should be on your mind uh, as you uh, listen to what we have to talk about today. Uh, we have uh, a little bit to get through here. So today we're going to actually look at a few case examples of what God is looking for through the writings of Paul. Paul continues with the succession model of building up leaders, of passing on the mantle, as it were. Last week we talked about like Moses to Joshua, uh, Elijah to Elisha. Um, we talked about a few of the, the succession of things. <clears throat> How God uh, puts forth people in our lives uh, that uh, help to, to build us up so that we ourselves are able then to take on that mantle and continue to lead uh, as, uh, as the people before us have, have come. Uh, so today, as Paul takes this on, we're going to take a little look at the second letter to Timothy and glean from it a few clues as to what a qualified leader looks like. Uh, we're given three pictures and three different types of people and their qualities, and we're going to take a moment here just to read uh, just a, a little section here in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 7, uh, to, to see what it has to say here. So 2 Timothy 2, verse uh, 3 through 7. Uh, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus and as Christ's soldier. Do not let yourself become tied up in the affairs of this life, for then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. Follow the Lord's rules for doing his work, just as an athlete either follows the rules or is disqualified and wins no prize. Hardworking farmers are the first to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Think about what I am saying. The Lord will give you understanding in all of these things. So while this passage is given to Timothy, specifically to encourage him uh, and his work as an evangelist, as a, a church planter, uh, we can take the lessons that are learned here and apply them to uh, every aspect of our lives as well. Uh, because these things are not specific just to evangelism, they're not specific just to Timothy, uh, they are a great example of the, the type of person that uh, we should look to, to edify. Now, notice it doesn't list out and just say, in general, for example, an athlete, right? Uh, if you think about today, uh, when we, you know, either watch sports or don't, there's not a lot of us that do here, but what is it, uh, what is it that we look at, uh, you know, for, for athletes, right? It's not just, oh, they're really good at that. Uh, they're very skilled at their sport. Uh, they're at the top of their level. But it's, uh, well, they're, they're a great uh, picture of uh, what it needs to be uh, a celebrity, right? We look at their influence outside of their field or court or, you know, whatever type of sport they play, their ping pong table, you know, whatever, uh, badminton. 
right? Real heavy-duty sports. I'm not knocking them. Those are the only ones I can play right now. So we look for their overall picture, and they're lifted up on uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram as a voice to listen to. They have to use the celebrity that they've gained through mastery of their sport to voice their opinion on the, the social work of today. Uh, likes and dislikes and that type of thing. You notice that Paul doesn't say that we should look to athletes for their opinion. Right? Paul says that we must endure suffering along with him as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So he points first to the soldier and he says, just as a soldier suffers, endures, uh, soldiering is not a fun thing. I believe that the, the people here who have served did not, uh, did not experience 24-hour parties, right? Did not uh, enjoy every single second in their luxury beds, right? Was it, I mean, is, is military service all about fun and games? Well, maybe for the drone flyers these days, right? They just sit down. No. They sit in those booths for like 21 hours at a time. That's not fun either. Uh, a soldier endures. Uh, first of all, you have to make it through boot camp. Uh, boot camp is not easy. It's designed to do one thing. It's designed to break you down, to make you less than, so that you can be built up of the image of who they want you to be. That's not a fun process. It's never easy. It is something that must be suffered through. Soldiers often endure a great hardship in service for their country. In the least, they're separated from their loved ones. Not everyone has been as fortunate as uh, my brother, for example, able to bring his wife to every post of duty because uh, he's more of an analyst-type position. I could go more into it, but then I'd have to kill you, so I won't won't put you through that. But he's been able to bring his spouse and his family as it's grown with him to every post of duty. But most soldiers don't generally have that opportunity to do that. So they're separated from family. They're separated from the friends that they knew in their childhood. They're torn apart from that and they're thrust into positions, into service of their country that is arduous, that is hard to do. And Paul says, just as they suffer through those things, we are to be long-suffering as well. We have a word that we've nicely put together for that, and that is patient. We're supposed to suffer through those things and be patient. So if soldiers are willing, if they are willing to volunteer to go into this suffering, should not we as Christians be willing to suffer as well? That's what Paul's putting forth to Timothy, because Paul... I don't know if you remember this about Paul, but he didn't live in the lap of luxury through his journeys, through his missionary trips, and even towards the end. Although it was pretty nice, his prison, when he ended up in Rome, it was basically his, you know, his own house. But still, uh, at the time that he's writing to Timothy, he is literally shackled to a centurion. Everywhere he goes... He has a companion that's joining him at the wrist. 
That's not an easy thing to do. You've done the three-legged race, right? That's, not a, that's, a, that's like a, a small example. Can you, can you imagine everywhere you go being shackled to somebody, their arm and your arm permanently attached, basically? It would make things a little difficult, let alone, I don't know how they worked out the bathroom situation, but... So Christians should be willing to suffer for hardships. It tells us in 2 Timothy 1.8, it says, So you must never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am prison, in prison for Christ. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the proclamation of the good news. Paul says, don't be ashamed of it and be prepared to suffer along with me, just as my example. Also, if we look at Matthew 5, in Matthew 5, oh wow, look, I have a list of verses up there. So Matthew 5, uh, starting in verse uh, 10, and we'll continue through 12. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now I know, you know, we live in America... We've got things pretty easy as it goes. We have our pick of which uh, services we'd like to attend. Uh, if you uh, look at a, a map of churches in the, in the great Port, greater uh, Portland metropolitan area, you've got, uh, probably, I think it's about 1,500 options that are growing and changing you know, on a regular basis. It seems like... There's a new church popping up in this area on a regular basis. And there's also several that are folding, but the, we could go to anyone that we want to. We could walk in without fear of persecution from the outside world. I mean, once in a while, someone may disagree with our stance, and, uh, you know, a celebrity that uh, says that there is a Christian will get mocked on Twitter for their stance. Uh, the, the vice president will be told that it's stupid, that he has a policy, that he doesn't meet one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with women, you know. Is that really so bad? When you compare the life that we have here to Christians in China, it's not... It's not that hard here. We don't have to worry about meeting in secret. Now with that said, I think that you'd have to be blind to what's going on with the world to think that it'll always be that way. So it's something that we all need to be prepared for. Though the persecution right now in America is at a lull, the way that the social climate is changing it will soon be a completely different story. And I don't tell you this so that you're suddenly scared to be a Christian. That's not the idea. 
The idea is to tell you this so that you're prepared for what is to come. For the Bible tells us that we will be persecuted before we are Christians. Not, hey, it might happen. It says, you will be. You will be mocked. Insults will be hurled at you. And some of us, even as Paul, may be imprisoned for our beliefs. These are things that could happen to anyone in this room. And it would be terrible if you're not prepared for that type of thing to happen. If you're not prepared to be long-suffering as a soldier, to be willing to be persecuted. Paul goes on to say that a soldier, in uh, 2 Timothy 2.4, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilians. I want you to think about this. We are called to be set apart. Right? You've heard the phrase, in the world but not of the world. That's the type of thing that Paul is referring to here. And there's a specific reason that soldiers are not supposed to get mixed up in the affairs of civilian life. Because soldiers must concentrate on the task at hand in order to survive. If I'm in combat and I'm wondering if my wife forgot to turn off the iron before she left the house, might not survive very long. I don't have to worry about that. I don't wear clothes that need ironing, so Julia hasn't left the iron on. If I'm wondering if I remembered to renew my subscription to a magazine, or if I'm worried about the latest tweet from the latest celebrity, I'm distracted from my task and my purpose, and I will fail. So just as a soldier must concentrate on the task at hand, we as Christians need to be careful that we're not distracted by the world. We need to follow what uh, we see in Luke 8. In Luke 8, verse 14, it says, The seeds that fell among the thorns represented those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by cares and riches and pleasures, so that they never grow into maturity. This is the type of person that goes to church on Sunday. They have their nice little seat. We've talked about Sunday Christians before, right? These are the people that never have grown beyond the VeggieTales version of the Bible stories. These are those that never study their Bible themselves. Reading the Bible is what I do on Sundays. I believe whatever my pastor tells me I'm supposed to believe. We cannot afford to be like that. It is detrimental to ourselves to be so focused on what the world is doing, so focused about what the talk around the water cooler, or in my case, the copy machine. We don't have a water cooler at work. Gossip is going to look like. Am I going to represent Mondays, get excited for Wednesdays, or last week I was really excited about Thursday because it was Pi Day? If I'm so focused on those types of things, 
Am I really going to be that good at the task that's been laid before me? You cannot let the things of the outside world crowd you out so that you never grow to maturity. Or, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So quite honestly, when it comes down to it, what are our heart's desires? Are we focused on our task? Or are we so worried about what it is that we can gain from the world that is around us and focused, like everybody else, on getting what is ours? And then the third thing that he says in regards to his soldiers is that they are devoted. For it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, it continues on to say, For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. You see, a soldier's desire is to please their commander. It's to follow their orders to make sure that these things are carried out. Do we have a commander? Marianne gives a thumbs up. We do have a commander. Our desire should be, like the soldier, to fulfill the desires of our commander. That means we should be working diligently, devoted to that very cause. We should desire to please God in everything that we do. This is Paul's attitude even concerning himself. And this is where we turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So it says, where, Whether we are in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. I don't think you could state it more specifically than that, right? Our goal is to please Him. It also says in Colossians 1.10, Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And I could go on and on and on with references towards this. Our sole desire should be to fulfill the command that is given by our commander. These qualities we observe in a a soldier, we should embolden in ourselves. They're things that we take hold of and apply to our lives. And this is how we should also train our children. So that our children can carry on carrying that mantle. But this is only part of the picture, of course. It's not the complete thing, for Paul does continue on to talk about the athlete. So let's read what he says about the, uh, the athlete. First of all, obedience. They follow the rules, it says in 2 Timothy 2.5. Athletes understand that if they want to win, they must abide by the rules. Those that do not abide by the rules end up in a cheating scandal... And they get all of their trophies taken away from them. So their win is not lasting very And there's numerous examples of those that did not follow the rules, that tried to cheat the system, be it through the use of performance-enhancing drugs, um, cheating by taking shortcuts during races. Uh, uh, There's numerous things that, that come to mind. 
So we as Christians should abide by the rules. That's pretty easy, right? The reason that we abide by the rules is because we are called upon by Jesus to observe what he taught. And he taught that we should abide by the rules, even when it came down to paying taxes. Now, mind you, we're not all going to pick up fish and pull out what we need to pay Caesar. But in all things, we are to follow the rules. We must be doers of the word and not only hearers. It tells us that in James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. So it is not just about hearing but it is about doing. It is about following the rules. It's one thing to know them. It's another thing to put them into action, and that's what we're called to do in James. And that is part of the example that Paul lays out. Paul goes on to say that they are self-controlled. Athletes know that the ultimate victory requires great self-control. How do we know this to be true? Look at how much an athlete at the top of their game practices. Do you think it's easy to get up before the sun and go out and start your workout? Do you think it's easy to spend hours of practice to take your way, yourself away from friends and family, to devote yourself so that you can be the best at what you do? This is what athletes do for the very possibility of winning in a game. How many of you are devoted, say, to, oh, I don't know, what's a good game? Scrabble. Huh? Are we studying dictionaries 24-7? We play in Wordscape on our phones to bone up on our word knowledge? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have... I have one person. <laughs> Athletes know that the ultimate victory requires self-control, so we ourselves need to exercise self-control. Because we strive for a crown, right? Whenever we go through any type of trial, it says in James 1, right? When you encounter trials of various kinds, what does it require that we do? We persevere so that we can obtain the crown. We have to be self-controlled and not give in to our basic instincts, not to run away from those trials, to curl up in a little ball and hope they pass us by. We have to face them and persevere through them because it is only then that we can grow and obtain the crown. So as an athlete is used as an example by the world for various reasons, we're not looking at all of those qualities. We're looking at these specific ones here. We are being self-controlled and we are being obedient. Paul goes on to give us the example of the farmer. How many of you are farmers? I've driven by several farms, like a lot of them. 
several times even. And I've talked with actual farmers, so I feel qualified to tell you it's hard work. No, I feel qualified to tell you for other reasons too, but anyways. Uh, farmers, if they are to be successful, are going to be hardworking. Farming is not an easy task. I was talking about athletes getting up before dawn. Well, they're getting up before dawn because they choose to so that they could be the best at their game. The farmer gets up before dawn because there are tasks to be done. There are chores that need to be accomplished every day before breakfast. And if those don't get done, farmer don't got no, no food to eat. That came out really weird. If those tasks don't get done, then your farm is going to fail. You're not going to succeed. And you won't be a farmer much longer. Fortunately for you, in America, we have subsidized farming. You might look into it. But we as Christians should labor just as hard as the farmer does. We don't have subsidized Christianity, or at least we shouldn't. We should labor in the vineyard of the Lord. It says in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. In Matthew 9 it says, He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. There is plenty of work that needs to be done. And we are given the example here of a farmer and told that we should be hardworking, that there is plenty for us to do. But what is it that we harvest? If you move forward to John 4, 36, it says... The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What a joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. There's people's lives at stake. Should we be any less hardworking than the farmer for those lives? Paul goes on to say that a farmer is motivated. It says in 2 Timothy 2.6 that they are the first to partake of their crops. So the hardworking farmer gets to enjoy the labor of their benefits first. We, likewise as Christians, should be motivated to labor diligently because we know that our labor is not in vain. It says right here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And we also know, as we talked about, our hope is eternal life and the crown of righteousness. If we read in Romans chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, it says, But now you are free from the power of sin. You have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But 
The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our hope is eternal. Our hope is for the crown. It also says in 2 Timothy 4.8, And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the great day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. This is something that we all are motivated for and diligently work towards. So Paul has used these examples to bolster Timothy and to encourage him as he takes up this mantle of leadership that's been placed upon him. He has set him up, and Timothy has answered the call and is working to become the leader that God has made him to be. So we have in the example of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer examples of qualifications for leadership. We're only the third Sunday, and I finally got to a list of some qualifications for leadership. All right. So we have in these examples qualifications for leadership. We as Christians, we know, for example, like the soldiers, we are set apart from the world. So we know that we must be diligent and we not, must not be sucked in to what the world would have us be sucked in. That means I shouldn't see any of you on any Twitter fights. All right? And for those that are older, no fist fights, please. We shouldn't be sucked into those. We know that as athletes, we should be hardworking, we should be self-controlled, and we should follow the rules. And we know as the farmer that we should be diligent and motivated, always working for the crown. And sometimes that's hard to do. We are hewing a path that the world doesn't understand. It's counter to what the world would tell us that we're supposed to do. They mock us. They pretend to be us. They emulate us. You know, if I didn't know better, I'd say the world was an adolescent boy that has a crush on the church. Pulling our hair, teasing us, hitting us with spitballs, putting glue in our hair. We must understand that this is something that, though it may sound a little funny, it's true. These are the way that the world operates. We, because we are set apart, because we march to the beat of a different drum, because we follow these new ways that aren't new at all, because we follow this new way to live life and the new way to look at things and to define things, because we follow, what's that uh, lyric? the best-kept secret of my generation, the best-kept secret of all time. 
skillet. That's who did it. No one listens to my music. Anyways, we are to embrace our roles, stop resting on our laurels, pick up our pace, accept our place, pick up the mantle, it's not hard to handle, Man, I went on a spree. You have people that you trust, so you must come along with us. Now, to rest on your laurels, just for those that don't know, means that you get uh, lazy or complacent about what you could achieve because you're too busy basking in memories of your former glories. It's not about where we have been, it's about where we're going. So I don't know if you caught it in there, but we are all called to be leaders. We've already discussed the fact that it is God who calls us. It is not us who qualifies ourselves, but he equips us to be qualified. We've gone over that he puts people in our lives that lead us with the point of passing the mantle on and not hogging it. So that means that those people that are leaders in your life today will someday pass that mantle to you so that you can be leaders in other people's lives. That should be the hope for your future or even for your now because what are you waiting for? Are you waiting to gain your skills? Are you waiting to be qualified? Again, God is the one that calls. God is the one that equips. That means you don't have to wait. Will you stumble through things? Well, shoot. I talk for a living, literally both in the secular world and here. And I mess up all the time. I was just remarking because it's St. Patrick's Day about the time that I answered the call speaking in an accent. Thank you for calling the Internal Revenue Service. This is Mr. Pierzina. Yeah, but then I was stuck, because you don't want to come back. We all continue to make mistakes because we are not perfect. But if we're waiting to be perfect before we pick up the mantle, we are doing nothing except waiting for that two-by-four to come across our head and remind us that it is God who equips us and not us ourselves. So I have a couple questions for you. My first question that I would like you to ponder in our cell groups today, what attributes do you see in others that you would like to emulate? So... As you examine people in your lives, people you look up to, what is it that you see in them that you would like to emulate? Second question is, are you willing to learn from the examples that God has given? When I sit here and I tell you repeatedly that God equips, I want you to think about the fact that God has put people in your life that God has put people in his word 
that are more than great examples. So are you willing to learn from those examples that God has given? And the third question is, do you recognize relationships that you have the lead in? Do you recognize the relationships that you have the lead in? We are called to leadership. We are called to be leaders of this world. We are leading people not to success in the world, but we are leading people to God. Do you recognize those relationships that you have the lead in? Those are what I would like you to discuss before we come back here to close our service today.